نحمد الرحیم What does he say? Amma ba'du. And this is talking about the imam. Hmm? Because the imam, obviously, he is the one who is giving the khutbah. Not everybody present at the Jumu'ah Salah. So when the imam begins the khutbah, how does he begin? How does he begin? With thana, with praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And then after that, when he concludes the praise, then what should he say? Amma ba'd. And we discussed its meaning and we also learned the first hadith under this uh, bab. And inshallah right now we're going to study the second one. Haddathana Muhammad ibn Ma'mar qala haddathana Abu Asim an Jarir ibn Hazimin qala sami'tu al-hasana. Yaqulu, he was saying, haddathana Amr ibn Taghlib anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam utiya bimalin. He said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mal was brought to him. Mal meaning some wealth. Ausabian or some sabi basically refers to war captives. Okay, so war captives or some money, some wealth was brought to him. Fakasamahu, so he distributed it. So in other words, when booty was brought in, what did the Prophet ﷺ do? He distributed it amongst the believers because this is what he would do always. Faatarijalan, so he gave it to some men. Watarakarijalan, and he left some others. He gave it to some companions and some other companions and he did not give anything to them. فَبَلَغَهُ So it reached him, meaning this news reached him, that أَنَّ الَّذِينَ تَرَكَ That those people whom he left, meaning he did not give anything to them, عَتَبُوا They got upset. They got offended. That why did the Prophet ﷺ not give us something at least? They were human beings, right? The companions. فَحَمِدَ اللَّهَ so the Prophet ﷺ, he praised Allah. ثُمَّ أَثْنَ عَلَيْهِ Then he sent more praise on him. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, أَمَّا بَعْدُ As for what follows. فَوَاللَّهِ For by Allah, إِنِّي لَأُعْطِ الرَّجُلَ I surely give to a person. وَأَدَعُ الرَّجُلَ And I leave another person. وَالَّذِي أَدَعُ And the one whom I leave. Meaning, I do not give anything to him. He is a habbu ilayya, more beloved to me, min than the one who alladi urti than the one whom I give to. So yes, I give to some people and I do not give to others. But by Allah, those whom I do not give anything to, they are more beloved to me than those whom I do give gifts to. Walakin urti aqwaman, but I give to certain people. Why? What's the reason? Lima, because ara fi qulubihim min al jazari wal halari. Because I see in their hearts jazar and halar. Remember, these words also come in the Quran. In al insana khuliqa, ida masahu sharru. So halur, jazur, these are attributes of people. Generally, what is jazar? It's the opposite of sabr. Sawaun alayna ajazirna am sabarna. So jazar is the opposite of sabr. Sabr is to be patient and jazar is to show impatience. Whine and complain and fuss and uh, this is basically jazar. And hala 
is to be small-hearted. And to be very, very intolerant. To be very greedy. Hala. So, because I see this impatience and this greed in people, this is why I give them. Because if I do not give them, they will complain and they will fuss and they will keep whining. وَأَكِلُ أَقْوَامًا And I leave from وَكَلَ تَوَكُّلْ okay? I leave some people إِلَى مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ To that what Allah has placed in their hearts. What is it that Allah has placed in their hearts? مِنَ الْغِنَى وَالْخَيْرِ Of ghina, what is ghina? Content for a human being. Ghina is the feeling of contentment. That alhamdulillah, I have enough. I don't have any right to complain and demand more. So ghina, self-sufficiency as in contentment. Walkhair and good. Meaning because they are content in their hearts and because they are good-natured people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made them such. This is why I leave them to these feelings of theirs. And this is why I don't give them. Because I know they will be patient. Feehim, the Prophet ﷺ said, amongst them, amongst two such people who are content and who have good in their hearts, amongst them is Amr ibn Taghlib. Amongst them is, the Prophet ﷺ is saying, is Amr ibn Taghlib. Amr ibn Taghlib who was narrating this hadith, because if you go back to the chain of narration, يَقُولُ حَدَّثَنَا Amr ibn Taghlib. So imagine, he is the one who is narrating this, because the Prophet ﷺ publicly praised him. He said, فَوَاللَّهِ سُبَّعِ اللَّهِ مَا أُحِبُّ أَنَّ لِي بِكَلِمَةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ حُمْرًا نَعَمْ I do not like to have حُمْرًا نَعَمْ Such red camels instead of these words of praise that the Prophet ﷺ said for me. Meaning I would not even take those camels, red camels, in exchange for the words of Rasulullah ﷺ. You give me any amount of wealth, it's not as valuable, as precious to me, than these words of the Prophet ﷺ are precious and important to me. Taba'uhu hmm? Yunus. Now what do we learn in this hadith? A beautiful lesson. First of all, the evidence that the Prophet ﷺ said, Amma ba'd, even when it was not a formal khutbah. Meaning, okay, Jumu'ah khutbah, it's understandable. The Imam says, Amma ba'd. The khutbah of Eid, you know, of istisqa, any other khutbah, it's understandable that the Imam says, Amma ba'd. But we see that here the Prophet ﷺ is saying, Amma ba'd, even though when it's not a formal khutbah. He's just addressing people, clarifying, you know, a misconception that they had. So, this is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, which must be followed by all those who address others. Amma ba'd. Secondly, of the lessons that we learn in this hadith, is first of all, that if there is you know, some bad feeling that is spreading amongst people, then what is necessary? Should it be clarified? Should it be clarified? Yes. Why? Why should it be clarified? Huh? Because this bad feeling is going to spread. And it's going to get worse over time. Because what happens if a person feels, one person feels that, you know, this action of such and such person, it wasn't fair. So they feel it in their heart. And they go and talk to someone. And then the news, it spreads. And then those bad feelings, they increase. So what do we learn over here? Communication. Because our hearts, they must be clean for one another. If you don't agree with someone, you know, over the decision that they have made, or the the actions that they have taken, it's necessary for you to communicate with them. And if they sense, if, if you feel, if you sense that people are not satisfied with the answer that you've given, 
or they're not satisfied with the decision that you have made, it's your responsibility to clarify to them why you have made that decision. You know, sometimes as a mother, as a parent, it happens that we do something or we decide something and children don't understand. And they say, why, why, why? And what's the typical answer that's given? Because I said so. Because I said so. That's not an acceptable explanation. It's not acceptable. Just the other day I was reading this article about how you can get children to listen to you. One thing was, get down and look at them in the eye so that they can also look at you. Because when they look at someone who's five feet, four feet above them, they cannot communicate better with them. Right? So get down to their level, look at them in the eye and, and speak to them. Another tip was that whenever you're telling them something, to say, we need to tidy up because such and such and such and such. Give them the reason, even if they're two year old. Because. And I've tried it. It works. Sometimes you have to give multiple explanations, but it works. Because. Hmm? And the thing is that sometimes the other person, because of who you are, they'll just accept what you're telling them. But in their heart, they're not happy. Hmm? In their heart, they're not happy. Will you have their trust in the future? No. Will you have their full support in the future? No. You won't. You're going to lose them. The Prophet ﷺ won the hearts of people. And this is how he was a successful leader. He cared about the feelings of other people. You see over here how much he cared about the feelings of other people? They're not too happy with this decision of mine? Let me clarify things to them. And unfortunately sometimes you say, you know what, this is it. You want to do it? Do it. You don't want to do it? Go. We don't show any concern for people's feelings. People are not machines. They're individuals with hearts. So many times we learn that when the Prophet ﷺ did something suddenly in the Sahaba, they were surprised at what's going on. The Prophet ﷺ clarified to them why he went out of the masjid in a rush. Right? He clarified to them. Communicate. Care about the feelings of people. And uh, it's not necessary that once you uh, tell people why you're doing something, they will agree with you. It's not necessary that they will always agree with you. But at least they know why you did something. You understand? Because sometimes we don't communicate out, out of this fear. They, they don't agree with me. Why should I care about them? No. Clarify. Clarify your position. Clarify you know, your reasoning. And hopefully, inshallah, even if you don't fully agree, even if you're not on the same page, at least you understand each other. And at least in the future, you know the other person uh, better. Because once we understand each other better, then we can work with one another better also. Because of our ignorance of other people, what they like, what they get offended by, what they understand, what they find difficult to accept. Because of this ignorance, we deal with people incorrectly. Because you see, believers, they have to be together, right? كَأَنَّهُمْ بُنْيَانٌ مَرْسُوسٌ and this bunyanu marsus cannot happen if the hearts are not together. And hearts, they cannot be together unless there is proper communication and there is concern for the feelings of others. You see over here, the Prophet ﷺ, he did not change his decision. You understand? Just because some people felt bad, he didn't say, oh, they got offended. Let, let, let me take some back from you know so and so and give to so and so. He did not change his decision. What did he do? He just clarified. 
And this is all that is needed sometimes. Just clarify. Tell them why something is happening. And you will notice that when you will start communicating in this way, your relationship with your children will improve, your spouse will improve, your in-laws will improve, your parents. I mean, every relationship will improve through communication, inshallah, and concern for others' feelings. Then in this hadith, we also see that the reason why the Prophet ﷺ gave gifts to people, or he gave money to certain people, and why he did not give to certain others. What was the reason? Was it always because he loved certain people and this is why he preferred them? Then why? Because he knew that if they're not given, they will be upset. So sometimes, some people, their hearts are weak. They need praise. And they need a lot of motivation. Continuous support so that they can stick around. Otherwise, they will not stick around. Like for example, your child is eating and you know that the moment your child will remember a certain toy, they leave the table. And there is no getting them back on their chair. So what do you need to do at that time? Just one you know, word of praise. MashaAllah, you're eating so well. Just one. And instantly, you know, the child will become more excited about the food and yeah, I'm eating so well. I'm eating so properly. You understand? Sometimes we think, no, 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 don't praise at all. Don't praise. Because then they will be needy of praise all the time. Don't over-praise, but at least acknowledge the good. And every child is different. Some children, or some people rather, they need praise. That is what, uh, you know, moves them. And certain other people, if you praise them, you'll break their back in the sense that their their actions will stop. They hate praise. They hate to be acknowledged. They just want to stay behind the scenes. right? They want to be an unknown because they're shy or whatever it is. And they don't like praise. So deal with people okay, accordingly. Then we also see that just because a gift is being given to someone or someone is being given something of this world, something material, it doesn't mean that they are very beloved. okay? Because this is what we think, that if someone is very wealthy, they're successful in the in worldly terms, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must be very happy with them. It's not necessary. The Prophet ﷺ also gave to people whom he didn't really love that much compared to others. He gave them, not because he loved them, but in order to satisfy them, in order to satisfy those people. Then we also understand over here that people... Their nature is different. Everyone is not the same. So don't treat everybody in the same way. Some people, they have jaza, hala. And other people, they have ghina, they have khair in their hearts. So recognize how people are, and then you'll be able to win their heart. And then you'll be able to, you know, use them in the best way. Use them in the best way that not use them in your favor, but rather benefit from them. Also we learn in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ publicly praised one companion. Didn't he? Amr bin Taghlib. At another occasion we learned that someone was praised in public and the Prophet ﷺ discouraged that. That no, you're breaking the back of your brother. Don't do that. So is this a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. It just means that in certain situations public praise is helpful and in other situations it is not helpful. It is not good. Over here, 
Why do you think the Prophet ﷺ praised Amr bin Taghlib publicly? What effect do you think this praise had on Amr bin Taghlib? He immediately accepted the decision of the Prophet ﷺ. You understand? He immediately accepted. Was this true praise? Of course. Because we can only expect honest words from the mouth of the Prophet ﷺ. Remember, don't fake you know, praise and such things. Because when we fake it, it's very obvious. It's very obvious and people dislike it. Just like body language, it can never be faked. It has to be original. It really has to be from your heart. Otherwise, people will pick it up very quickly. And once they pick it up, you've lost you know, all dignity in their sight, basically. So, public praise, sometimes it is okay. But not all the time. Next hadith حدثنا يحيى بن بكير قال حدثنا الليث عن عقيل عن ابن شهاب قال أخبرني عروة أن عائشة أخبرته أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خرج ذات ليلة من جوف الليل عائشة رضي الله عنها said that one night the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he went out when من جوف الليل in the middle of the night so in the middle of the night he went out meaning out of his home فصلى في المسجد and he prayed in the masjid so what does it show to us? That sometimes the Prophet ﷺ performed the night prayer where? In his home. And other times where? In the masjid. فَصَلَّى رِجَالٌ بِصَلَاتِهِ So some men, they also prayed behind the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning when they saw him praying, they're like, why should we pray at the Hajjud separately? Let's just follow him. And when they began following him, the Prophet ﷺ had no choice but to lead them in prayer. You understand? Because we learned earlier in the abwab concerning imamah, uh, leading in prayer, that if a person is performing salah himself individually, uh, then another person can join him. You understand? Another person can join him. And once he joins him, then the person who was praying first automatically becomes the imam. And he has no choice. You understand? He has no choice. So, uh, whether it is uh, a fault prayer or a nafal prayer. Obviously, the intention, sometimes they can be different also. You understand? So anyway, the Prophet ﷺ, he's praying his salatul layl in the masjid and the sahaba, some of them, they joined him and they were so happy. In the morning, the people began talking about this. Oh, we prayed behind the Prophet ﷺ in the masjid. So the next night, more people came. فَصَلُّوا مَعَهُ And they prayed with him. فَأَصْبَحَ النَّاسُ فَتَحَدَّثُ Then the next morning again, people spoke about it. فَكَثُرَ أَهْلُ الْمَسْجِدِ مِنَ اللَّيْلَةِ الثَّالِثَةِ On the third night, there were even more people. فَخَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ The Prophet ﷺ came out. فَصَلَّوا بِصَلَاتِهِ So it shows that they came even before he came out. They were as if waiting for the Prophet ﷺ. فَلَمَّا كَانَتِ اللَّيْلَةُ عَجَزَ الْمَسْجِدُ عَنْ أَهْلِهِ The masjid, it became ajiz from its inhabitants. Meaning so many people came that the masjid was full. The masjid became full. حَتَّى خَرَجَ لِصَلَاةِ الصُّبْحِ And the Prophet ﷺ, he came out for the fajr prayer. Meaning people were waiting in the masjid for the Prophet ﷺ to come out to lead them in the night prayer. He did not come out. The masjid was full. He did not come out. When did he eventually come out? Fajr prayer. فَلَمَّا قَضَى الْفَجْرَ Then when he completed the Fajr prayer, 
اقبل على الناس he faced the people فتشهد then he testified meaning اشهد ان لا اله الا الله واشهد ان محمد رسول الله ثم قال then he said اما بعد as for what follows فانه لم يخف علي مكانكم your position was not hidden to me meaning i knew exactly that you all were gathered over here and you were waiting for me to come out and lead you in the night prayer lakinni but khashitu i was afraid an tufrada alaykum that it will be made mandatory upon you fata'jizu anha and you would be unable to do it tabahu yunus meaning the reason why the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not come out fourth night when the masjid was full was because he was afraid that if we continue to do this every night then the sixth prayer is going to become mandatory and if it becomes mandatory every night tahajjud qiyamul layl it would not be possible for you fata'jizu anha you could do it you could pull it for a month like the month of ramadan but then not the day after eid then you need a break fata'jizu anha so again over here what do we see the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said amma ba'd right when he was addressing the people he said amma ba'd so this shows that especially for khutbah amma ba'd must be said what lessons do we learn from this hadith now you tell me that it's amazing how it was the habit of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that never he was speaking to a group of people even if it's not a formal khutbah he's speaking to a group of people he began with the praise of allah he began with the praise of allah so this is something that we need to you know practice also that how considerate rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was that even though he saw that the people were very enthusiastic he knew that they wouldn't be able to do it you know for a long time and this is the reason why even though he must have enjoyed and uh, loved to worship in the masjid in the night with the people but he did not come out why because he wanted the best for his ummah that it also shows the eagerness of the companions you know what i am amazed by that okay the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam went to the masjid to pray but there were some sahaba over there also for the night prayer for the night prayer just imagine how the sahaba went to the masjid for night prayer and the next day when the news spread more companions came and then more and then more and we also see here that when a person does something regularly regularly then even though it is not fard yani for general muslims it becomes expected of him to continue to do that you understand that after 3 days the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was afraid not the fourth day because if the fourth day this happens and it must be continued on the fifth day and it must be continued on the you know sixth and seventh and eighth and it should continue then like remember abdullah ibn umar radhiyallahu anhu he wished to fast every day and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam told him no the maximum permission that he gave him was every other day now if you think about it it's not fard to fast every other day but if a person makes it a habit to fast every other day then he must continue to do so for the rest of his life because when a person begins a good deed then what does allah like consistency consistency don't start and drop and then start and drop and drop forever and then never start again no if you've started doing something now don't leave it don't leave it 
And you know Ibn Umar, he used to fast like that every other day, even towards the end of his life. Because obviously this was something that he had started doing and he didn't want to stop. And he would say that I wish I had listened to the Prophet ﷺ. That it's difficult for me to do this now. So really it shows to us that sunnah is the best way. It's the most complete way. Right? And when we add anything to that, then it makes things difficult for us. But it also teaches us the etiquette that once a person, for example, begins the habit of, let's say, reciting the Qur'an every day, one page, two pages, then what should they do? Continue. If a person develops the habit of fasting every Monday and Thursday, and you've done that for a month, for two months, then you should continue that. You understand? And alhamdulillah, studying the Qur'an, reflecting upon the Qur'an, studying its meanings for so long, then what does it befit the student of knowledge? To disconnect with the Qur'an once once the classes are over? No. It should not discontinue. It should continue in one form or another. حدثنا أبو اليمان قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال أخبرني عروة عن أبي حميد الساعدي أنه أخبره أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قام عشية بعد الصلاة. One one evening the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم stood up after the prayer. فتشهد then he said the شهادة وأثنى على الله بما هو أهله and he praised Allah سبحانه وتعالى as is his due meaning as Allah deserves to be praised. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, أَمَّا بَعْدُ As for what follows. تَابَعُهُ أَبُ مُعَاوِيَةَ وَأَبُ أُسَامَةَ عَنْ هِشَامٍ عَنْ أَبِيهِ عَنْ أَبِيُّ حَمَيْدٍ عَنْ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ قَالْ أَمَّا بَعْدُ تَابَعُهُ الْعَدْنِيُّ عَنْ سُفْيَانَ فِي أَمَّا بَعْدُ So basically all of these different chains of narration, they all show that the Prophet said, أما بعد حدثنا أبو اليمان قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال حدثني علي بن حسين عن المسور بن مخرمة قال قام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فسمعته حين تشهد يقول He said the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم stood up and I heard him at the time when he was testifying he said أما بعد تابعه الزبيدي عن الزهري حدثنا إسماعيل بن أبان قال حدثنا ابن الغسيل قال حدثنا إكرمة عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال صعد النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم المنبر The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم ascended the منبر وكان آخر مجلس and this was the last gathering جلسه in which he sat meaning which he attended متعطفا and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he had he was wrapped up with milhafatan with a wrapper meaning a large wrapper alaman kibayhi upon his shoulders meaning he had this blanket or big sheet or something with which he was wrapping himself meaning he was covering himself and you can imagine when would a person do that when you're not feeling well when you're cold qad asaba ra'sahu and he had tied his head also bi'isabatin with a band that was decima, that was oily. Meaning, some some oil or something had been applied on his head, on his forehead, and his head was also wrapped with a uh, with a band. And what does that show? Headache or fever or something like that? فَحَمِدَ اللَّهَ But in this state also, he praised Allah. وَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ He praised Him. He glorified Him. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ إِلَيَّ O people, come to me. Meaning, come closer. Why do you think he said that? Exactly. So that the closer people are, the better they'll be able to hear him. 
Otherwise, he would have to raise his voice. فَثَابُوا إِلَيْهِ So they all came to him, close to him. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, أَمَّا بَعْدُ As for what follows, فَإِنَّ هَذَا الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْأَنصَارِ يَقِلُّونَ He said, indeed, this حي of the Ansar, they are going to reduce. حي is the inhabited area okay, where a people are living or a sub-tribe is living. حي is also used for a, a group of people, a sub-tribe. So basically he was implying that the Ansar, the Ansar, they are going to reduce over time. And the people are going to increase. Meaning other people are going to increase. So basically the face of Medina is going to change. The original inhabitants, the helpers, those who assisted the Prophet soon they are going to reduce. The other population is going to increase. More people are going to come into Medina. فَمَنْ وَلِيَ شَيْئًا Then whoever is given authority of anything, مِنْ أُمَّةِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ From the Ummah of Muhammad صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Meaning whoever is given charge, whoever is given rule, فَاسْتَطَاعَ And he is able to أَنْ يَضُرَّ فِيهِ أَحَدًا to harm anyone, أو ينفع فيه أحدا, or benefit anyone, meaning he is given such a position in which he can harm people, he can also benefit people, meaning such authority and rule a person is given, فليقبل من محسنهم ويتجاوز عن مسيهم. Then how should he deal with the people, especially the Ansar? How should he deal with them? He should accept from their muhsin, meaning anyone who does ihsan amongst them. You should accept that ihsan. Accept it, meaning encourage it, acknowledge it. وَيَتَجَاوَزْ عَنْ مُسَيِّهِمْ And being human, if the people under him make any mistake, any error, then what should he do? The leader, the one in charge, he should deal with them with forgiveness, meaning he should excuse them. So in this hadith again, what do we see? The Prophet ﷺ, he said, أَمَّا بَعْد Now, especially who is mentioned in this hadith? The Ansar. That in the last gathering that the Prophet ﷺ attended, what did he do? He advised his companions to be good towards the Ansar. Why? Because he received good treatment from them. Didn't he? His companions, those who migrated from Mecca, they all received good treatment from the Ansar. So much so that the Ansar would prefer the Muhajireen over themselves. They preferred the Prophet ﷺ over themselves. And it is only fair that if someone has done ihsan to you, you do ihsan to them. You do not forget their ihsan. You understand? You do not forget their ihsan. And it's possible that the people who come after you, they don't understand because they weren't there. You know, a particular person helped you. So what is your duty? To teach your children that so-and-so helped me. So-and-so helped us. So you better be good towards them. You understand? Because many times it happens that our family members, they don't always understand why we care so much about a particular individual or a particular cause. They don't get it. They think their mother has gone crazy or their sister, you know, she's lost her mind and this is not normal. Why is this going on? Tell them. That I gained this from so and so. They assisted me in my time of need. I 
I learnt my deen over here. And this is why these people are of value to me. This is why this place is precious to me. So advise them. And the Prophet ﷺ did the same thing. He advised the companions. That anyone who is placed in charge, then he should accept the ihsan of the ansar. And any any evil, meaning any bad, because obviously they are human beings, they are bound to make mistakes, then he should ignore that. Why should he ignore that? Simply because of the fact that the ansar helped Rasulullah ﷺ. They helped the companions. And this shows to us that if someone has done ihsan to us in the past, should we forget it? No. We should not forget it. It was the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that if someone did a favor to them, did a favor to him, he would not forget it. He would give them back in one way or another. Just recently I watched this video actually of this uh, child who was stealing you know, some medication. And the pharmacist or the doctor, whoever, got really upset and beating the child up. And there was this poor man nearby, you know, with a small restaurant. And when he saw that this child is stealing medication, he understood that there's something wrong here. So he went up to the child and he asked him that, who's sick? And the child said, my mother. So he gave the money, the man, he gave the restaurant owner, he gave the money to that pharmacist. And he ordered, you know, in his restaurant that, you know, some soup he prepared. And he gave it to the child's free medication and food. 30 years later, the same man in his restaurant, all of a sudden he fell. Fell unconscious. Taken in for treatment and the bill was more than what he could afford. So basically his daughter had to put the restaurant for sale in order to pay the bill. And what happened? When she was obviously in that state worried that where am I going to get this money from? This, this is it. You know, my life is over. 30 years of running this restaurant, it's finished. What happened? She finds a note, all dues paid 30 years ago. Because that child became the doctor who treated that restaurant owner. Hmm? So, never hesitate showing ihsan to someone. And when someone has done ihsan to you, never forget that. Never forget that. And this is a beautiful lesson, a very, very important lesson. You know, when parents pass away, what is one of the best ways of continuing to do bid with them? Being good towards who? Their relatives and their friends. Their relatives and their friends. Because if they were alive and they saw you doing good to their friends, how would they feel? Really good. Exactly. Uh, once a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, I've committed a big sin. The Prophet ﷺ asked him, do you have a mother? He said, she passed away. He asked him, do you have a khala, an aunt? And he said, yes. So the Prophet ﷺ said, do good to her. So we see this in the wasiyah of the Prophet ﷺ also, that when he was advising his companions, he advised them that whoever is made in charge, and who was made in charge after the Prophet ﷺ? Who was the khalifa? Abu Bakr After Abu Bakr Umar. After him, Uthman. After him, Ali. Now all the first four Khalifas, who were they? Muhajireen. So this was a clear indication, this hadith, that Khilafah was to be given to who? The Muhajireen, not the Ansar. And it had different reasons, because the Arabs in general would only accept someone from Makkah. Right? Not because the Prophet advised against the Ansar, but he advised the companions, do good to the Ansar. باب القعدة بين الخطبتين يوم الجمعة القعدة sitting 
Bainal Khutbatain between the two khutbas, Yomal Jumu'ah on the day of Jumu'ah. Meaning the Imam when he's giving the khutbah, where is he giving? Where is he standing? On the mimbar. And he's standing. So while he's giving the khutbah, what should he do? He should give a pause in the middle. So that the khutbah is divided into two parts. And during that pause, what should the Imam do? He should sit down. Because he has been standing, so he should sit down and take a break. But that break, how should it be? One hour, two hours long. Three days long. No, few moments. And then get up again. Taking a break is necessary in anything that you're doing. The weekend, one day, right? A few minutes here, an hour or two here. It's natural. It's necessary. Because when you're doing something for so long, then you are bound to get tired and exhausted. Right? So when you take a break, that helps you perform better. It refreshes you, rejuvenates you. But that break should not be so long that it gets difficult for you to get back into work mode again. حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا بشر بن المفضل قال حدثنا عبيد الله عن نافع عن عبد الله قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخطب خطبتين يقعد بينهما He said the Prophet وسلم, would give two khutbas and he would sit between between both of them meaning between the two khutbas he would sit briefly Now notice over here يخطب خطبتين which khutbah is this we're saying Jumu'ah because this is in Kitab al-Jumu'ah. Huh? Majority of the scholars they have said this is Jumu'ah khutbah. Okay? Because from other reports, this is what we see uh, the Prophet ﷺ did. Two khutbahs and between the two khutbahs, a, uh, a, a brief sitting. When it comes to Eid khutbah, how many khutbahs are there? One khutbah. There is one narration in which we learn that two khutbahs, were done and between the two khutbahs was a sitting. However, that narration is weak. Alright? So, Eid khutbah, how many? One khutbah, not two. Istisqa also. Salatul istisqa, the khutbah for that is also one. But Jumu'ah, how many? Two. And also we learn in a narration that the Prophet ﷺ, he would, he would, when he would ascend the mimbar, he would remain sitting until the mu'adhin would complete the adhan. Then he would stand up in order to give the khutbah. Then he would sit down in order to take a break. And he would be silent during that. He would not speak. And then he would stand up again in order to give the second khutbah. So this shows to us that between the two khutbahs, what should be done? Silence should be maintained by the imam and also by those who are present, listening. Bab al-istima'i ila al-khutbati. Listening to the khutbah. And istimar is what kind of listening? Attentively. حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا ابن أبي ذئب عن الزهري عن أبي عبد الله الأغري عن أبي هريرة قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا كان يوم الجمعة. He said that when it is the day of Friday, وقفت الملائكة the angels stand على باب المسجد on the door of the masjid. Yaktubuna, they are writing Al-awwala fal-awwala One by one Meaning the first one first What does that mean? That as the people are coming in Whoever comes in first, his name is written first And whoever comes in second, his name is written second Whoever is coming in third, 
his name is written third al-awwal fal-awwal wa mathalul muhajjiri and the example of the muhajjir who is muhajjir the one who comes at the time of tahjir tahjir sorry hajira muhajjir is one who does tahjir meaning the one who comes at the time of hajira and what is that to go at a time when it's really hot so basically the sun is where at its zenith so right at noon time now you know that zuhr begins when after noon time correct and that is when jumar will be performed you understand so the muhajjir is the one who is coming early when it's really hot you understand at the time of hajra before zawal so the example of the one who comes early kamathali is like the one who alladhi yuhdi badana like the one who offers as hadi a badana what is hadi sacrifice okay sacrificial animal that is sent where to the kaaba hadian baligh al kaaba hadi that is made to reach the kaaba so not just an ordinary sacrifice but a sacrifice that is sent to the kaaba and it is slaughtered over there it is offered over there and he is sending what a badana what is a badana a camel summa then the one who comes a little after him is kalladhi like the one who yuhdi baqara the one who sends a cow summa kabshan then a kabsh a ram summa dajaja then a chicken summa bayda then an egg فَإِذَا خَرَجَ الْإِمَامُ Then when the imam comes out, طَوَوْ صُحُفَهُمْ The angels wrap up, they close their suhuf. Their scrolls in which they were recording the names, their sheets. وَيَسْتَمِعُونَ الذِّكْرِ And they listen to the khutbah, the dhikr attentively. So what do we learn in this hadith? That if the angels are listening to the khutbah attentively, and they don't even write the names of people who are coming in anymore what does it mean for us that when we are attending jumuah khutbah should we be writing the khutbah down should we be taking notes should we be checking our phone and sending text messages should we be talking to each other no if the angels are listening attentively then the same is for us we must also leave everything even writing even eating and drinking leave everything and listen to the khutbah follow the angels yastami'un dhikr you know what the angels are attracted to what dhikrullah anything that is good that is what they like so much so that if there is a gathering in which dhikr is being done the angels they call each other come here come here this is where the dhikr is going on and so many angels they cover that gathering so much so that the angels they reach up to the skies when a when a righteous soul is taken and the angels of death they are taking that soul up through the sky what happens the angels over there they welcome they welcome the arriving soul and they all you know they, they escort the soul from one sama to the next because if there is anything good anything good the angels will go there Right? So this is why 
we know that this is good. Listening to the khutbah is good. Because the angels are listening to it. What if it's in a different language? That you don't understand. Still it is good. What if you don't like the khatib? Still it is good. Unfortunately it happens many times. You know the khutbah is going on. People consider that to be a waste of time. That come on, shorten it, finish it already. They consider it to be a waste of time. So they are doing their own adhkar at that time or they're reciting the Qur'an or they are talking to each other or some people, they they think that it's a gathering of seeking knowledge so they start taking notes. You're not allowed to even take notes during khutbah. Assalamu alaikum. We have to be example for kids. I remember this morning, I think my little daughter, she told me, I remember last Jum'ah mommy, I was... A woman, she came and asked another woman, is this yours? She's talking and the woman, she's just looking straight. She's not talking. So she take from that lesson, from that woman, she's like, she doesn't allow to talk in the Jum'ah. I tell her many times and she used to chat with her friend. Now she's like, she said, if you see that woman, she's not talking. So this is the best way of teaching. That if somebody is even talking to you, you don't even look at them. You don't even look at them. And sometimes it may seem like rude or the other person might get offended or they're asking you, Is this your bag? Is somebody sitting here? But still, nothing. You know what? If it's somebody's bag, they know. Or inshallah, they'll find out. And if it's somebody's spot, no spots are reserved in the masjid. Right? So everything, everything becomes secondary when the khutbah is going on. يَسْتَمِعُونَ الذِّكْرِ And then you should not say to them, be quiet. You should not say to them, be quiet, as we will learn. Because the harm of telling someone, be quiet, is that you lose the reward of Jumu'ah. You lose the reward of Jumu'ah. It's as if you did not gain anything. It doesn't mean that it was nullified and you have to go perform Jumu'ah again or that you have to perform Salat al-Zuhur. No, it just means that you didn't get much from it, from that entire effort. So you don't tell anybody at that time to be quiet. But let's say you are not performing Salah. Right? It happens sometimes. Women, they are at the masjid, they're not praying. And they see children talking, for example. Should they go and tell them? You know, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ فَعْتِ ذِكْرَ If the reminder is going to benefit, then remind. You understand? So if it's a two-year-old child that's constantly crying or talking, is there any point in telling them be quiet? You'll probably make more noise by telling them to be quiet. Isn't it? Likewise, if there is an individual and they have been told once or somebody gave them a look, okay, and they should have gotten the message, but you see, this is their habit, then should you uh, make more noise by telling them to be quiet? No. And you see, it's always helpful to review the rules of going anywhere before going there. Sometimes we take it for granted that everybody knows what the rules are, but it's important to review them every now and then. Hmm? Uh, like for example recently uh, we had to go to the hospital frequently so every time we would go I would remind my children you know we have to look at things but not touch them because imagine all this equipment attached to the person on the bed and children get excited and they're pulling a plug here and touching the equipment it could be really really dangerous so we we would review all the rules of course they would forget because children are bound to forget but reviewing each time was helpful. Eventually they'll get it. 
carpeting, either we're fixing your earring or fixing stuff. So this might be, we think, we thinking, but the uh, person sitting beside it, we might disturb in the exactly. which is not allowed. So uh, the thing is that you cannot listen attentively if your body is moving. In order to listen attentively, your entire body has to be involved. So if you are continuously playing with your jewelry or uh, you know, your bag or something, then you are distracted. It will affect your listening. Why is it that we have been told not to even say to another person, be quiet, because you're going to miss something out? Remember what happened with Asma radiallahu anha? She went to tell the women, be quiet, and she missed the khutbah. So she had to ask Aisha radiallahu anha, what did the Prophet sallallahu say? So why is it that we have been told to not say anything, even be quiet to another person who's talking? Because we will lose something. We will lose the reward, we will lose the ajr, we will lose the ilm, the reminder. So for our own good, be silent. right? And also one more thing. In Bukhari earlier we learned that when a person goes to the masjid, he should not clasp his fingers together. You understand? That fingers, they should not be, uh, fingers of one hand should not be uh, inserted into the between the fingers of the other hand. You understand? This is something that is not allowed. You can do this, but after the prayer. Okay? So many times during the khutbah, because we're sitting for so long, we end up sitting like this. Okay? Or we start playing with our fingers, cracking our knuckles and biting our nails or something like that. Playing with the hands should be avoided. Or sitting with legs propped up, even that should not be done. Meaning sitting in such a way that the legs are propped up in, in front of a person okay, so that he has his arms wrapped around the legs okay, and, and the fingers are generally clasped together in this position so this is something that should be avoided because it shows that a person is just yeah, sitting there you don't look attentive and it's very, very disrespectful towards the imam to sit in this manner that a person is sitting so casually in front of the imam okay, finish already so that we can pray so that we can go it's not good body communication. Now, one more thing I'd like to say here before we continue, that as women, many times in most masajid, yes, we're not able to see the imam, and the imam is not able to see us. But that does not mean we can sit however we want, and we can talk however we want, and we can talk while a speech is being given. This is extremely disrespectful. The khutbah is going on, people are praying, and the women who are not praying, what are they doing? Constantly talking, 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 talking. Is this the adab of the masjid? Is this good adab towards the imam, the khatib? No, it's very disrespectful. And even if it is not jumu'ah khutbah, if an announcement is being made, if a halaqah is being conducted, if during uh, you know Ramadan, uh, between the taraweeh prayers, usually a small khatira is given, even during that, unfortunately, women talk a lot. That the, that the voice of the imam is completely drowned. This is extreme disrespect. Not just to the imam, but to what? Dhikr. We are disrespecting the dhikr. Whose dhikr? Allah's dhikr, if we're talking at that time. So this is something that we must refrain from and remind one another of that when the khutbah is going on, please refrain from talking. When a speech is being given, refrain from talking. When an announcement is being made, refrain from talking.
there is a difference of opinion concerning this. Some said that it should only be in Arabic, but others said that khutbah is for the purpose of reminding people, and if they do not understand Arabic, then it can be in a different language, as long as the other components are present. Which components? Recitation of a few ayat, or reading of a few ayat, the hamd sana at the beginning, amma ba'd, okay, the two khutbahs, then the khutbah is complete. You understand? Also this hadith shows to us the importance of going early. That if you go early, your name is written. And if you go late, then what? Your extra reward is gone. Hmm? Because the one who goes early, it's as though he is performing two ibadat. Huh? How? That A, he's coming for salah. And B, the reward of sacrificing an animal, sending it to Makkah, is being recorded. Because the person who's coming early, he is really... Uh, performing uh, an act of worship that is badani as well as mali through his money also. How? He's leaving work early. Right? He could have built an extra hour at work. But he is going early. So Allah will definitely appreciate that. Why not? In a hadith we learn, Abu Darda said that the Prophet ﷺ, he sat on the mimbar and addressed the people and he recited a verse. Abu Dawda said that Ubay ibn Karb was next to me. So I said to him, O oh, Ubay, when was this ayah revealed? But Ubay ibn Karb refused to speak to me. So I asked him again. And he refused to speak to me until the Prophet ﷺ came down from the mimbar. Meaning the khutbah was over. Then Ubay said to me, You have gained nothing from your jumuah except idle talk. You have gained nothing except lagh. When the Prophet ﷺ had finished the prayer, Abu Darda, he said, I went to him and I told him what happened. And he said, Ubay was right. When you hear your imam speaking, then keep quiet and listen attentively until he has finished. And this is a hadith in Musnad Ahmad, class at Sahih by Sheikh Albani. What if uh, a person sneezes? A person sitting next to you, they sneeze. And they say, Alhamdulillah. Should you say Yarhamukallah at that time or Yarhamukillah? No. You don't you, you don't respond to them at that time. What if somebody is coming in and you see them and they see you? Khutbah is going on. It happens, right? You make eye contact with someone. So should you say Salaamu Alaikum? And should they say Wa Alaikum Assalam? Or the person who is walking into the masjid while the khutbah is going on, should they say Assalamu Alaikum everybody? No. But isn't it like the haqq of a Muslim, not while the khutbah is going on. You see, everything becomes secondary. You cannot greet someone, you cannot respond to the greeting, you don't say, Yarhamukillah to your sister when they sneeze. Shaykh ibn Uthaymeen said that it is haram to give salam during the Friday khutbah. Because the tahrim is clear. You're not allowed to talk. There's so many evidences which show but the Prophet ﷺ, he made this clear to the people and the Sahaba also, they acted upon this. So much so that they wouldn't answer the person sitting next to them. So it is not permissible for one who enters the masjid while the imam is delivering the khutbah to give salam. And it is also forbidden to return the greeting. You don't return the greeting at that time. There is one exception that is made in the case of you know, speaking to the imam or the imam speaking to someone. Okay? During the khutbah. So the imam is giving the khutbah. A person comes in 
and he says something to the imam. Should he do that? No, technically you should just be listening to the khutbah. You're not allowed to talk to other people and you're not allowed to talk to the imam either. Likewise, the imam, what is he supposed to be doing? Giving the khutbah. But can he pause his khutbah and say something else? Can he? Like, oh, it's raining outside. Can he Can he say something like that? No, he cannot. But there's just one exception. And what is that? Let's find out. باب إذا رأى الإمام رجلا جاء وهو يخطب أمره أن يصلي ركعتين إذا رأى الإمام when the imam sees رجلا أمان جاء who has just come وهو يخطب while he is giving the khutbah so the imam is giving the khutbah and he sees that a man has just walked into the masjid so the imam أمره he orders him who the person who has just walked in أن يصلي ركعتين that he should perform two rakah before sitting down Remember that Umar anhu he was giving the khutbah, Uthman anhu came and he asked him, is this the time to come? Meaning you're late. And Uthman anhu answered back. So you see how the khutbah was stopped. And some, you know, a conversation took place. So when is this permissible? حدثنا أبو النعماني قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد عن عمر بن دينار عن جابر بن عبد الله قال جاء رجل والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخطب الناس يوم الجمعة A man came while the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was giving the khutbah to the people on the day of Friday فقال So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said أصليت يا فلان So and so have you prayed? قال لا He said no قال قم قم فركع He said stand up and perform your salah Meaning before sitting down now, these two raka'at that the Prophet ﷺ told this man to perform, which two were they? Of tahiyyatul masjid. Because remember, there is no two raka'at before salatul jumu'ah. Okay? The two raka'at are which ones? Of tahiyyatul masjid. And based on this, some ulama, they said that tahiyyatul masjid is wajib. Because a wajib will only be left for something wajib. What is wajib? Listening to the khutbah. Remaining quiet, leaving everything and just listening to the khutbah. But the Prophet ﷺ told him to leave that wajib. Why? In place of something else that was wajib. So he told him, get up and pray to rakah. You understand? And once one of the companions, he came to the masjid to speak to the Prophet ﷺ because they had made this transaction on the journey. The Prophet ﷺ bought his camel from him and he said, I'll give you the money. Hmm? So that sahabi, that young sahabi, he came to the Prophet ﷺ to take the money. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, pray first and then we'll talk. He came, that, that sahabi came, not for a fard salah, for jama'ah, but he came, why? To take his money. But the Prophet ﷺ told him, pray first. So what does this teach us? That anytime we go to the masjid, even when it is not for the purpose of prayer. What if it's for a halaqah? What if it's for some other reason? Even then, what should be done first? Two rakah. Even if the khutbah is going on. Like I mentioned to you that these two rakat were of tahiyyatul masjid because there are no two rakah before salatul jumu'ah. In a hadith we learned that the Prophet ﷺ used to come out of his house on the day of jumu'ah and go up on his mimbar, then the mu'addin would give the adhan, and when he finished, the Prophet ﷺ would start his khutbah. The ulama said, that if there were any sunnah prayers to be done before Jumu'ah, the Prophet ﷺ would have told them about it. And he would have directed them to do it after the adhan. But he didn't. 
right? And we learned that the Prophet ﷺ, he would perform two rak'ah after Salat al-Jumu'ah. When? When he went home. So, how many rak'ah total? Four. Two with the imam and two after. And what about the two before? That's tahiyyatul masjid. So I have to pray two rak'ah in the morning when I came I already pray two rak'ah. So I have to pray whenever that, that's, I go. That's enough. Because you're in the same building. So in the morning you came, you know, you prayed two rak'ah in the masjid and that's fine. Every time you go to the masjid, it doesn't mean that you have to pray each time. Okay? Because you are still in the building. Even though you're not in the masjid area, but this is all in a way one. Now we see here that it is permissible for the imam to speak at the mimbar about something which is not related to the khutbah. Okay? About something which is not related to the khutbah. But when? When there is some maslaha, when there is you know, some benefit, some uh, intended benefit, something good that you that needs to be done. Now, when the Prophet ﷺ told this man, pray two rak'ah, this man learned, first of all, the importance of praying two rak'ah. And those sahaba who were present over there, they also understood. Because when something is coming from the mimbar, then the message goes to everybody. Whereas when something is done in a class, studied in a class, it's only restricted to those individuals. But remember, Jumu'ah, it's a large gathering. Everybody is supposed to come. People from far and wide. So then the message, it goes public. So if there is something necessary that must be taught, because otherwise people will misunderstand, okay? Or people will, they will not be following the sunnah, then it must come from the mimbar. But this does not mean that every few minutes the imam is stopping the khutbah and saying, brother, you also turn your phone off and you also sit properly. Once or twice, you know, every few months, it's okay. But every other, you know, khutbah or, or every few minutes, this is not correct. So the imam should not begin casual conversation. And it, it should only be in cases of extreme necessity. Shaykh ibn Uthaymin said that it is not permissible for the imam to say anything that serves no purpose. Rather, it should be for a reason connected with the prayer or other suitable topics. Now, you know, for example, it may happen that the imam, he's given the khutbah and all of a sudden, the microphone breaks down. It's not working. So in this situation, he says out loud with his voice that it's okay, things are, you know, in control and we will begin shortly or we, we will conclude the khutbah over here and begin the prayer. Or he's speaking to the engineer, uh, you know, the IT guy. It's perfectly fine. You understand? But it doesn't mean that a casual conversation takes place. So if you happen to be in a masjid where this happens, don't think your Jumu'ah is invalidated. Okay? Also we see that the Prophet ﷺ corrected someone in public. In public, he corrected him. So is it okay to do that? That there's two ways, there's two situations. One is that when you correct someone in public, everybody will learn from that. Hmm? And the other is that you correct the person for something that concerns only them. Okay? And it will only cause them to be humiliated in front of everybody. That should be avoided. Now, for example, uh, in a big class, one student is constantly talking. Okay? 
Now, how should the teacher correct the student? One is that they ignore. What's another way? Look at them so that the student gets the message. But if you notice as a teacher that one student is talking and now because of them, three rows behind, another student is talking and then across from them, two more students are talking. So you see, it's spreading, then it needs to be stopped. Then students may be told. Okay, Their name may be called out, for example. But on every little thing, on every little thing, don't call out people by name and embarrass them. You understand? And the reason why I'm telling you this is because inshallah in the future, anywhere, you know, you are uh, conducting any session, anything, don't think that just because something wrong is being done, you have the right to call out their name or that individual and embarrass them in public. Only when you see that their actions are disturbing everybody or they're causing everybody to take that class casually, then you need to correct them. Then we also see over here that the Prophet ﷺ told this individual to perform the prayer. Now if the khutbah is going on and this person is performing two rakah, how long should those two rakah be? Very long? Short. Okay? So it's okay to perform short rakah, you know, a very short prayer sometimes. Especially, tahiyyatul masjid. Okay? Secondly, the sunnah of fajr because that was the way of the Prophet ﷺ, two very, very short rakat, in which the first rakat he would recite, قُلْ يَعْيُوا and the second one he would recite, قُلْ اللَّهُ Thirdly, the first two rakat of Salatul Layl, of the night prayer. The first two rakat of the night prayer, tahajjud, how should they be? Short. Because this is how the Prophet ﷺ used to perform his salah. The first two were short, and the second two longer and longer. Is there any benefit in this? Huh? You slowly build up the energy. And, Sister Asma? Exactly. That what happens is that if the first two are long, then would you have the motivation to perform two more? No. You won't. Because you'll be tired. But when you start with something easy then because you have accomplished two, then what happens? You get this motivation. You know what? Two more. And then two more. And then finally you reach the sunnah. Right? Meaning eight rakat. I'm getting puzzled with what I'm saying. Of course. So the best way is actually to come for salat. Definitely. But if it happens, how can I get back to the khushur and forget about the khutbah at that moment? Uh, the thing is that these days, alhamdulillah, the voice of the imam is so loud that no matter where you go in the masjid you will hear the imam right alhamdulillah that is also a blessing otherwise women would never be able to hear the imam Uh, the thing is that because it is too short rakat you're not praying for very long Uh, this is why if you don't have 100% khushur you know it's it's almost as though it's it's understood that it's not going to be possible right because the khutbah is going on you can't possibly have your mind in two places and you're not required to pay attention to the khutbah at that time. You should, you should be focused in the prayer. But there will be situations when you won't be able to because the khutbah is loud. Right? So in this situation, obviously, just perform your prayer to the best of your ability. فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ Yeah. That when you start with two uh, light rakat for tahajjud, you know, at least you've accomplished something. Like for mothers it happens, their baby woke up or... 
they have to go do something. So at least you've accomplished your rakah. Fourthly, two rakah of tawaf, they should also be short. And fifth, whenever there is a need to do that, the salah may be performed in, in, a, in a brief manner, meaning short. باب من جاء والإمام يخطب صلى ركعتين خفيفتين The one who came while the imam is giving a khutbah صلى he prays ركعتين two ركعات خفيفتين quick light حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا سفيان عن عمر سمع جابر قال دخل رجل يوم الجمعة والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخطب A man came while the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was, was giving the khutbah on the day of Friday فقال so he said أصليت have you prayed قال لا he said no قال فصلي ركعتين he said then perform two rak'ah باب رفع اليدين في الخطبة raising the hands during the khutbah why for the purpose of making dua so the imam raising his hands during the khutbah for the purpose of making dua حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد عن عبد العزيز عن أنس وعن يونس عن ثابت عن أنس قال بينما النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخطب يوم الجمعة once while the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was giving the khutbah on the day of Friday إذ قام رجل when a man got up فقال and he said imagine khutbah is going on and this man says all of a sudden he stood up and he said يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ أُو رَسُولَ اللَّهُ هَلَكَ الْكُرَاعُ هَلَكَ It has died الْكُرَاعُ Horses Meaning our horses are dying وَهَلَكَ الشَّاءُ And the sheep are also dying فَدْعُ اللَّهَ So please call upon Allah Make dua أَنْ يَسْقِيَنَا That he gives us rain فَمَدَّ يَدَيْهِ So the Prophet ﷺ He stretched out his hands وَدَعَى And he made dua now remember that this was an exceptional situation. This was not the habit of the Prophet ﷺ that every time he gave khutbah, he stretched out his hands and he made dua, you know, a public dua, congregational dua. No, it was not his habit. But he did it sometimes. Not all the time, sometimes. So this is why, first of all, we learn that to make this a practice of making congregational dua, all the time, this is a bid'ah. It is an innovation. You understand? That everybody together, you know, for example, at the end of every class, if I you know, raise my hands and you raise your hands and I made dua and you said, Ameen, 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 and we went on like this for five, ten minutes, and we did this after every class, then this would be wrong. It would be a bid'ah, because this contradicts the way of the Prophet ﷺ. However, once in a while if it happens, like for example, let's say a group of students, they've been studying the Qur'an. They completed Surah An-Nas, from Fatiha to An-Nas. And now obviously their hearts are you know, full of amazing you know, feelings and of joy, of happiness. They, they want to you know, make dua at that time. So if at that time dua is made, is that a bid'ah? No, it is not a bid'ah. Because we see that in large congregations, large congregations, like for example Eid, what did the Prophet ﷺ say? That even women who are not praying, who are menstruating, should go and be a part of the dua. You understand? So, sometimes, once in a while, it is okay. But all the time, it is not okay. Clear? So if let's say you go to a gathering, it's a big event, and over there dua is made, don't say, oh, bidatis. No, don't, don't say that. It's a once in a while thing. 
you do I use all the time, uh, um, I guess for the purpose of learning, but would that be considered? Okay, good question. That what if dua is being made together for the purpose of learning? Is that something wrong? No, it is not wrong at all. Because you are reading it together for the purpose of memorization, to make sure that everybody knows the dua, and everybody gets to say it and practice it, because the more you practice, the better you get at it. You understand? So for example, when your teacher, uh, she makes you memorize du'as in class, and she says, make the du'a, don't just say it. So at that time, should you say, no, 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 I shouldn't be making the du'a, because that would be a bid'a. It's not a bid'a. Because obviously you are saying it for the purpose of practice, for memorization, for correct pronunciation. But it shouldn't be that you're just saying the words without even feeling them. So for example, at the end of a class, at the end of a halaqah, you say, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, give us the tawfiq to benefit from what we have learned. Is there anything wrong in this? No, there isn't. There isn't. As long as it's you know, one sentence said in the middle of conversation, okay, there is nothing wrong with that. But to make that dua go on and on and on, either at the beginning of the khutbah or at the end of the khutbah, that is when it becomes a problem. One more thing. In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, madda yadayhi. He stretched out his hands and he made dua. What do we learn from this? That when making dua, it is permissible to stretch out your hands. Okay? But uh, again, it is not a condition for dua. You understand? It is not a condition. In a hadith we learn that when a servant makes dua, you know, stretched out his hands, then Allah feels shy to return him empty-handed. So because of this, the ulama said, it is mustahab, it is better to lift up your hands, stretch them out, and then make dua, but it is not a condition. Okay? And this is why it should not be made mandatory. That when it comes to thinking about dua, instantly you think about hands. No. Dua and hands are not meant to be always together. Okay? You can also make dua without raising your hands. It's not necessary. So for example, you're attending their Eid khutbah, uh, dua is being made, for example, uh, is it necessary for you to raise up your hands, lift up your hands? No, it's not necessary. Right? Especially when you're in a position of teaching others, then it's better that sometimes you don't raise your hands. Okay? It's okay. You're teaching your child how to make dua. When you make dua out loud, your child will also learn. In fact, you should make your duas out loud sometimes, especially in front of your children, so that they also know that for every little thing we should be asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, like the Prophet ﷺ made dua for certain young companions. Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa'allimhu ta'wil. He could have made that dua silently himself, but he made the dua in front of the young boy. Because imagine how a child would feel. Dua is being made for me. And do that with children. May Allah you know, make you a reciter of the Qur'an. May Allah give you, uh, may, may you become hafiz. You know, make these du'as for your child in front of them. It will motivate them. It's beautiful. that Then children also learn that when you want to appreciate someone, make du'a for them. You are not able to return the ihsan back, but if you make the du'a from, from the heart, 
they will be always remember oh my small things make me she make me that huge dua yes. so sometimes if you compare whatever you do it's nothing in compare of the dua you the get dua back them exactly. don't be uh, stingy with giving dua to the people jazakallah khair for the reminder also one more thing i want you to notice here the prophet sallallahu is giving khutbah and this randomly a man just stands up and he starts complaining and from other ahadith we learned that he was a a Bedouin and the Prophet ﷺ just said he made dua right away you know uh, recently I was listening to a recording that of a lecture that my mother gave in a city where different language is spoken okay. but the people also are familiar with Urdu she's giving her lecture and uh, people who were giving comments or questions they were getting the microphone So this one lady, she got the microphone and she started talking in her own language. And she went on for, I think, about over a minute or two or something. And it was as though she was giving a lecture, literally, as if she was adding to the lecture. And uh, I was just listening, amazed at what's going on. And my mother, when when she uh, when that lady finished her her talk my mother said jazakallahu khairan and then she just continued and i was like if if something like that happens what would we do like sister please uh, you're not giving a lecture here turn the mic off somebody take the mic away from them somebody else tell them to sit down and be quiet understand people there are all types of people right and this man he requested make dua and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam immediately he raised his hands and he made dua and in the next hadith we will learn how when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam made dua there was not a cloud in sight but before he ended the prayer it was already raining it was already raining the dua was immediately accepted and it rained for an entire week to the point that next juma The, that same man or somebody else in his place they said that please too much rain so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam again made dua allahumma hawalaina wa la alaina and then the rain instantly stopped so respond to them yes. don't say okay even if we have it the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam during the khutbah it is not disappointing the person right yes. he's so, making dua yeah but sometimes if people ask coming ask for something i mean respond to them and uh, is it okay to ask others to make dua this man is asking the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to make dua it's okay however it doesn't mean that just because you asked him you don't make dua yourself you have to make dua yourself also because unfortunately this belief has become very common my duas are not heard i'm too sinful i'm too far from allah why would he listen to me So that's why I need to take the wasila of so and so and I need to ask so and so to make dua. You know when a person thinks like that he's actually thinking very bad about Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's it's so alon with Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that Allah will not listen to me. And it's actually you know this is this is actually reducing the haq of Allah. Right? Of his uluhiyah, of his rububiyah, of his kamal that you did not recognize who your lord is. Who do you think he is that you have to turn to others? They not making direct dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. Remember the Bani Israel? They wouldn't make dua themselves and they would just go on asking Musa alayhi salam, Udur lana rabbak, udur lana rabbak. 
So it's perfectly fine to request others. Remember me in your prayers. The Prophet ﷺ even said that to Umar anhu. But it doesn't mean that you stop making dua yourself. You need to make it yourself also. Anyway, we should conclude here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.